Rhino, it's another week of the friendly confines, and our, the Cubs' two best players, you Darvish and Jason Hayward, who would have thought it? Yeah, I'm just happy they're finally earning those hardcore contracts that they've signed as two of the highest-paid players on this team. But it's great to see, and man, what a difference a week makes. I thought everything was lost after that Cardinal series, and wow, absolutely dominating against the Brewers. And man, do they need it this week when they got Oakland coming to town as it- well. It's a marathon and not a not a sprint, and uh, there are there is some bad news and uh, such bad news that uh, uh, we, we're getting excited about seeing Kyle Schwarber with a, a catcher's mitt on. So we're going to talk about that as well. It's so much more, but we have uh, Ryan part two of of our favorite guests, probably our biggest shows yet. Um, how excited are you to hear from Joe Buck again today? The one and only Joe Buck. And part two of our two part interview with him. He goes into great detail. A little bit more about his personal life that he wrote in his book about himself and his family called Lucky Bastard. It really is a wonderful read if you guys get a chance. So buckle up, everybody, because the Friendly Confine starts right now. First inning now, and with the sweep, Chad, the Cubs unfortunately came out of it with a huge battle wound, that being Wilson Contreras and a pulled hamstring that he injured in the second game against the Brewers when he lined out to center field and then came up lame as he was running out of the batter's box. It's no secret that Contreras has probably been the MVP of this team this year. Uh, He's been the most consistent hitter has probably been the the player that has had the the most timely hits so far this year for this ball club and has really been kind of the heartbeat of this team. He's had hamstring problems all his entire career, and now this just manifests itself at a time when the Cubs need him most. Um, so first, let's talk about how this is just going to affect not having him on the team, and then we can kind of break down a little bit in the next minute, what the Cubs' options are without having a healthy Wilson Contreras, hoping that it is not anything major. But I'll tell you what, if it was a minor hamstring pull, I have to think he would have stayed in the game. So my concern is, is this is going to be more damaging and we could see Wilson Contreras out for an extended period of time. This is a huge loss for this team. This is an important time now for this team to be able to group together and stay together at this crucial point in the season. Yeah, you know, Wilson's he's the spark plug, Ryan, and 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 he's been you said statistically he's he, he's not the best in every category, but he is the steady presence. He's a presence that's really managing the pitching staff that has really had a resurgence in the last couple of weeks. You know, Contreras is 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 hitting 275, 19 home runs, 57 RBIs. His OPS is is nearly 900. But, you know, he had this same issue uh, back in 2017, and it took him out two months. So we've got a big guy, big fire plug, big spark plug with big legs like that. When the hamstring goes, that is not something that, that repairs itself real quickly. So what do we do next? I think, you know, all eyes are, 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 are not necessarily looking at Taylor Davis. They're looking at Victor. And, and if, if Caratini can, it can step up and show what could be possible um, – you know, this is his time because there isn't a lot of options now in the trade market because it just doesn't work that way. You can only pick somebody up that's been um, that's been put out on on options um, that's been released by team. So this is uh, this this 
this is concerning and uh, it's just another story and in, in a, in a very interesting uh, 2019 cup season. Jonathan Lucroy is a player that obviously has been bandied about as somebody that maybe the Cubs could go out and get. He was DFA'd uh, over the last uh, week and the uh, Los Angeles angels decided to let him go. So he's a guy that has some great experience. Um, he's a veteran catcher. Uh, not somebody who's going to hit a ton, yeah. but certainly a decent defensive player, um, you know, has a career average of 275. So, you know, certainly has what it takes, but had some good years when he was with the Milwaukee Brewers. So he knows the NL Central uh, might be a guy to possibly throw in there. Here's another thing. Just throwing it out there, Chad. What about what about? possibly having Kyle, Kyle Schwarber well, behind the every now and then. The, the internet blew up a little bit on Sunday because during the pregame, he was seen with the catcher's mask uh, um, taking some 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 throws. Uh, you know, it, it, is his knee and, and is he structurally sound enough to make that, that move? That could actually solve a lot of issues um, in terms of getting him enough at-bats with the, the new newly reformed uh, outfield. Um, but you know, if, if you think that you can bring somebody in and have them be a major league baseball catcher uh, and, and them in the, the second week, first, second week of August, that's that's I'd be very surprised. And I, for me, it's, it's, it's Taylor, Taylor Davis kind of holding down the Ford and limited starts and just hope that Victor Carantini can uh, can hold on. Yep. Yeah, I agree uh, on that, but certainly. Not the news the Cubs were hoping Definitely for, especially not. as they uh, go through the stretch that they're going through right now. Well, one huge bright spot for this team has been the nice emergence of Jason Hayward, who, who knew, should be batting leadoff this entire time. Why it took this long <laughs> to figure that out is beyond me. But, man, Hayward has just been on a tear lately. And you can tell in the post game after Sunday's game against the Brewers, he really didn't want to go into detail about maybe any tweaks he made because, you know, any player being superstitious, they certainly don't want to reveal yeah. anything that may change the, uh, the next time they're at the plate because obviously every at-bat is, uh, you know, something that could possibly change the way that they're hitting. But, man, Jason Hayward looks very patient at the plate. He hit a leadoff home run to start the game on Sunday and uh, then had a triple so I'll tell you what, it's a great thing to see. And I really hope he can continue this hitting because Jason Hayward right now, Chad, it's, it's amazing. He's actually in the midst of potentially having the best season of his career. Um, and that's good to see considering the three mediocre seasons we saw from him from an offensive standpoint when he first joined this team. So I am happy to see this. And I, I hope that the Cubs have finally settled their leadoff hitter because it would solve so many problems for this baseball team yeah if you're a Cubs fan and and you've been up and down on Jason Hayward like many people have you must be elated right now I mean we're looking at a uh projecting out to mid to to, to late uh, mid to high 20s and home runs which is the power production that, that that was the guy that we remember when he played for the Cardinals in 2015 you know the defense has always been there the the the, the leadership in the clubhouse has always been there um, but for him to have that consistency and when was the last time that you remember seeing Jason having a, a flurry of those little choppers to second and first base, which kind of defined the first three years of his time with the Cubs. You know, this is, this is a bright spot story. This is a player that's going to be a part of the team. He is not a trade target. He's, he's being paid way too much. He can't, he's not going anywhere. So if he can actually 
bring forth what what was expected of him is like you said on track for his best year in his career um and and becoming very close to what was a, a heck of a rookie season with atlanta this is yep. nothing but upside yeah 100 percent. so uh let's hope for more good things from jay hay as we uh are playing throughout the second half of the season well third inning now and let's talk a little bit about the biggest acquisition the cubs made um, in the trading deadline, and that was the acquisition of Nick Castellanos from the Detroit Tigers. Excuse me, I'm mispronouncing his name. It's Nick Castellanos. Uh, there you go. The Detroit there Tigers. you go. Uh, the L is silent. Nick yes. Castellanos. And um, grammar is important. Grammar is important on this podcast. We're gonna we're gonna yes. say the names correctly. You got it. Yes, 100. <laughs> percent I mean, listen, if we're if we're gonna deem ourselves so-called experts we want to at least say the names with at least well, the correct well, i'm not calling myself an expert uh, use my yeah. information at your own risk that's true that's, <laughs> that's why i use it in quotes so-called uh so you know he's now being able to you know start some games in right field and again castellanos has been playing pretty solid he's a nice uh, addition to this team seems like he fits in well into the lineup he's uh, slated in the number two spot um play some you know decent right field this is a guy who I think can set the table, can, you know, get on base, can hit for a little bit of pop occasionally. He claims that the reason he didn't hit more home runs was because Detroit ballpark was just way too big. So he feels like coming to Wrigley is going to maybe help with his power numbers. I hope he's right. Um, but I'm liking this, man. I, I, I like what I've seen so far from uh, Castellanos, and, and I do enjoy – um, you know, these deadline deals that the Cubs continue to make each and every year to make that push. We saw that last year, yeah. um, you know, with Daniel Murphy and, you know, Alderoldis Chapman. I mean, the names go on and on that we've seen over the years of the Cubs acquiring these guys at the trade deadline to make that push. And uh, I hope we have the same thing here with uh, Castellanos. You know, you look at kind of the target for him, and, and, I, and I did see that, that same uh, interview talking about just the home run numbers. But look back just two seasons to 2017, 26 home runs, 101 RBIs. Those are solid numbers to go with the 272 batting average. So that in a more of a, a, a pitcher's park, um, the numbers are a bit skewed there. But this is a guy that has the potential to um, be an everyday player for this team. Um, he's He's – he is that left side uh, spark plug that this this offense has been desperately needing. If you look at the statistics uh, for this team, they are miserable against left-handed batters, uh, pitchers rather. And Nick has the opportunity to bring those numbers up because he is lights out against lefties. So this was this was a move. It, it's definitely not Grinky, you know, uh, going to uh, to the Astros and having what I just can just uh, seems like an un unbeatable um, uh, uh, starting rotation with the Houston Astros. We didn't get that deadline deal, but you as a Cub can feel pretty good about the pickup of Nick. And if you want to put Kimbrell in there to say, hey, these are two in-season moves. The front office, I feel like they did what they can. There weren't a lot of sluggers out there that were available at the price they wanted. Um, and let's be very, very honest here. The Cubs just don't have the farm talent anymore that they can move and get some big names on the deadline. Yep. Yep, they mortgaged the future to uh, settle for the present, which, listen, I can't fault them for that. Time is to win now, um, and, and that's what it's all about, and I think that they're doing the right thing, trying to at least you know, make those minor moves yeah. to, uh, to move forward and try to, to win a championship. Well, fourth inning now, and Chad, we've talked about this guy plenty of times on our program, and of course, he all of a sudden, uh, well, I'm going to get to that, Hugh Darvish with uh, another strong outing yeah. for this Cubs team. Uh, seems like he has just been on 
fire of late. Um, not only that, dare I say this, Chad, believe it or not, I know you're going to agree with me when I say this. <laughs> you Darvish is currently the best pitcher on the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. No, yes, no, no, no debate. I said it. Yeah. No, 100%. Debate. yeah. I, you know, and his numbers back it up. You, you look at his first 16 starts. What, what, what defined that first part of the season walks. He was walking everybody. He was, he was missing all of the, all of the corners, you know, missing his pitches. He is not a guy that's going to strike somebody out in three pitches. He is a finesse guy. He's working them over in terms of working uh, different parts of the, the um, from speed and, and from the parts of the, the, uh, the, the strike zone um, in his first 16 starts, he walked 49 players and he really struggled for, you know, trusting his defense since the beginning of July. 44 strikeouts, just two walks over those six outings. So he is the ace right now. And I got to tell you, for everybody, you know, it's, it's, this is a redemption story episode here because you've got, you've got Jason Hayward, who is, is becoming the spark plug on offense. And now you, Darvish, finally looking like he's worth his contract. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to finally see that these guys are stepping up. And yeah, you mentioned Darvish. You know, the one thing I would like to see him be able to do is get past the sixth inning. I mean, he only went five on Sunday. Um, you know, Joe lifted him after five, which he was at around 90 pitches at that point. I still think that if they can get him to at least the seventh, maybe the eighth, I thought Sunday was a perfect opportunity. Joe decided to go to the pen. I'm not going to, like, quabble about it too much. But it would be nice to see him pitch deeper into games and to keep his pitch count down. You know, he is a guy who throws a lot of pitches. He's kind of the anti Kyle Hendricks in yeah. that regard. Yeah. But, but again, I, I, I would like to see, that's kind of the one thing I just hope he can maybe attempt to work out is work on his pitch count and try to at least see if he can go deeper into games. Cause it would help the bullpen so much. And I think his stuff is still strong in the sixth and the seventh innings. He's still topping out at over 90 miles per hour. So for me, I, I certainly think that it's something that he's very capable of doing. The other thing I do want to mention I know we've talked about Cole Hamels, and I know he recently came back from that oblique strain. He pitched terrific on Saturday in the win for the Cubs. And, you know, I know we talked, you had a lot of concerns that you didn't think he'd maybe be able to make that recovery. But so far, so good. Cautiously optimistic, I guess we would say at this point. For one really Hamels. good mo- one, one good thing that I want to share uh, as it applies to all the pitching, and you're right, the Cole Hamels uh, uh, re- return looked really promising. Um, when you talk about free passes, and that defined a lot of the first half of the season, the Cubs starters at this point, um, uh, at this, as of this recording, have gone six straight games without issuing a walk, and that is the longest such streak since 1905 so that's that's history making and it also is a defining moment for this team and and uh um not giving the freebies and 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 allowing this home run crazy offense that that is major league baseball right now extra runners and extra rbis all right so we move to the fifth inning now and chad what a week a difference makes we were looking at the cubs road trip after they went three and six sitting here going you know what it's just not happening they fell behind the Cardinals in first place in the NL Central. And then all of a sudden, look at that. The Cubs sweep the Brewers at Wrigley, where they are basically unbeatable. It is unbelievable to me how this team goes, you know, as as poorly as they play in those gray uniforms, they play like champions when they're in the pinstripes at the friendly confines. So it is still just absolutely mind-boggling to me how this team plays comparatively to Wrigley and on the road. But regardless, they needed that sweep over the weekend, and they got it. 
And now we have a huge series with Oakland coming to Wrigley this week that they got to make sure because that road trip is coming up again soon where they're going to be on the road now again for, you know, 10 games. And uh, so it is so important for them to continue to play strong at Wrigley. But, man, nothing makes me happier, as I'm sure same for you, when I see the Cubbies not only just have the lead but have a a one-and-a-half game lead in the NL Central because the Cardinals got swept by this Oakland A's ball club that we're going to be seeing very shortly. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's a positive trend, and I'm, I'm so glad um, that, that I kind of got my belief kind of backed up by Joe Buck. So, you know, we're going to have Joe Buck the second part of the, uh, of the, the interview in just a bit. But, um, you know, last week he shared he, he doesn't get so, so, so hung up on the splits. He also he says, you know, at this point it doesn't matter. Um, if, if you win all of them and you beat up on everybody, or if you just, it, it's about making the playoffs. So right now you've got to feel pretty good because what I look at, and yes, uh, the, the, the home and away splits are, are interesting. And, and it does show that the Cubs are struggling on the road, but our run differential and uh, the Chicago Cubs run differential is the second best in the national league. And, you know, very simply put, it means they're scoring a lot more runs than they're giving up. Um, and they're second to the, the Los Angeles Dodgers Dodgers. So if they can, keep that up that's going to be a positive trend the Oakland series this week and and uh, and the oncoming road trip uh, is is obviously you have to take a lot of a lot of looks at that but at this point it's what I've said before and Wilson kind of plays into that what do I always say it's about making the playoffs um, coming in feeling really good healthy and on an upswing and right now that's all the Cubs are looking to do is over the next eight weeks is to get healthy and be on a tear but they, I, they, they need to create some separation. That's the key. I would feel better about things if they were able to create some separation. Well, One and you, a half yeah, games. you can't, Ryan. You can't. You're right. You can't read. You, we can't redo. 2018 and have it come down to a, a one game playoff to a one game wild card. That's, that's, that's a very tough road to hoe. You're absolutely right. Um, so separation would be good. And it is about, who is playing the hottest ball at the right time in that, that last week in September. Yep. hundred percent. All right. So we move now to the sixth inning. And of course there were a few tweaks to this team. We mentioned that uh, obviously the trading deadline brought in some players. They got Derek Holland, they got Castellanos, um, Tony Kemp, another player that they received from the Houston Astros. So the Cubs got some like bits and pieces. And then at the same time, they, got rid of the guys uh, other than Carl Edwards Jr. who was mm. struggling though a little bit, but yeah. the guys who I think were causing a lot of strife with fans and with this ball club overall, that, that a lot of team or a lot of fans, Cub fans, Cubs Twitter, as you know, I love to fan <laughs> Cubs Twitter and see what's going on there that were, that were just getting over the top upset about, and it's showing, it's showing that it has helped the, the, the Cubs, you know, Fred Brock is gone. Addison Russell's down at AAA now. Uh, they traded Carl Edwards Jr. You know, there are guys that thankfully the Cubs, I believe, made the right moves to option these players to no longer either be on the club or be in the minors um, that I think is ultimately going to strengthen this team down the stretch as we play the last 50-some-odd games of the year. So these are things that I'm, I'm happy about. Because I think that I, I hate to use the words, uh, you know, like the garbage players, but they just weren't producing. They really were not doing things that needed to be done 
and it was affecting this club. And, and I think that Jed and Theo, like, give them credit to that degree. They recognized that, and they picked the right guys because there was talk that Rowan Wick would have been one of the guys that it was going to go back down to the minors once uh, Cole Hamels came back, and instead they kept Rowan Wick. So I was happy to see that happen. Um, so the tweaks that I have seen so far um, as it relates to what they've done at the training deadline and the players they replaced them with, I'm happy with those moves. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go play by player. I'll just. I'll throw the highlights here for me, and you. You've hit on them as well. Um, you know, Addison Russell has been a distraction this entire um, season from the moment that he came back from his his domestic abuse suspension. I don't foresee an opportunity for him to to rejoin this team. He'll, he'll obviously be on the expanded roster when that time comes, um, but I just don't see an opportunity for him to fit in with the players that are in place, unless he has some incredible resurgent in, uh, in triple I think he is at best a Mesa opportunity in 2020. Um, CJ, I, you know, love that kid. I I'm so sad that, uh, that he didn't come to form as, as he could have, you know, people don't realize it. it it's not as if he forgot how to pitch. He had a, a pretty substantial shoulder injury last year and it's done nothing but affect his pitching um, since that time. And I wish him nothing but the best in San Diego. So, you know, what I'm appreciative about this, Ryan, and I think where we need to really focus in is I feel like we're really clear on who this team is and what the lineup should be going, going here on out. And there's a little bit less moving parts. Uh, there's a little bit more clarity in, in the, uh, in the outfield. Um, there's, you know, maybe a few less reps for Bodie now. Uh, but I, I think that there's, there's, what you're seeing now is is a much stronger core and you know without going too far into it because he's just you know one rehab start in South Bend in but there's a chance as well we could see Ben Zobrist um, even though we're not sure what at what level we'll, we'll see from him but this is a lineup as it's constructed right now that has the opportunity all I want out of them is consistency in a lineup so that they can understand their role and do their job. Yeah, all good points. And again, and Daniel Descalza is the other uh, player that uh, now is on the 10-day IL, who, again, I know you've, you've had plenty of fun to <laughs> that, discuss him. I'm my favorite that, that... role, my favorite thing that Daniel Descalzo did for this Cubs team was to say, Jed, you want me to go on the, uh, the IL? <laughs> yes, sir. That's the best thing he's done for this team. Is he hurt or not? I don't know. I'm a little tongue-in-cheek here. But, you know, it's not a bad move, and he unfortunately just has not been a factor in any way, shape, or form. 100%. Part two of our Joe Buck interview coming up next. We're talking with Joe Buck from Fox Sports. The book is called Lucky Bastard, My Life, My Dad, and the Things I'm Not Allowed to Say on TV. You can also find him on Twitter, at Buck. Uh, and, of course, you can always catch him uh, on Fox Sports uh, doing the baseball game of the week along with the NFL season. Of course, uh, been with Fox Sports for it's – it's over 20 years now, Joe, right? You've been with Fox Sports uh, at least 20, yeah, 25? I've been there been there since it was Fox Sport, as uh, John Madden used to joke. I was 24 and went out there and auditioned in uh, the spring of 1994 and basically got hired walking out of the studio after auditioning and got paired with Tim Green and actually did my first game in Chicago. My first NFL game was uh, Tampa Bay at Chicago to open the 94 season. And I grew up 
a Bears fan. I've talked about this a thousand times. So, you know, diehard Chicagoans who have heard me say it before probably rolling their eyes. My grandfather, my mom's dad, played for George Chalice and played for the Chicago Bears for two years in the uh, in the early 30s. And so when I was a kid, I had, because he was kind of my idol, my grandpa, I had a Bears helmet on my dresser. And uh, it was kind of crazy to be sitting there. And I'd never done football. I'd never done high school football, tried to play it, never broadcast college football. And I was sitting there at Soldier Field in 94 going, what the hell am I about to do? And <laughs> found my way through it. And I've, I've been at Fox ever since. Joe, let me ask you about real quick as far as uh, your relationship with the Cubs and the Cardinals growing up as a kid. Obviously, there's there's that huge rivalry that's still going on today, and you had such a unique perspective as a kid, be it with your dad being Jack Buck. I'm, I'm curious what you were like with your relationship to, obviously, how much you love the Cardinals, but yet did you have a disdain for the Cubs growing up as a kid like everyone else, or was it a, a different sort of feel uh, in that regard, what what was that like yeah, for you? It's, it, it's kind of different because I think I learned at a young age, and I think Lee Smith, uh, the longtime Chicago Cub, short time Cardinal, uh, when I was broadcasting right at the start of my career, but even before that, and I'll get to Lee in a second. But I, when I would get on a, a Cardinal charter after a game with my dad, and I was a little kid, and, and you know, I knew my dad's mood kind of uh, was dependent on whether the Cardinals won or lost the night before. And, and I, I got that bug when I was a kid. And that bug kind of quickly left me when I saw guys after a big loss get on the team plane and just go on about their lives. You know, I think fans get way more wrapped up in it than the players actually do because they have to go out there and play, and they have actual – uh, they have an actual hand in whether the team wins or loses. The rest of us as fans, no matter who you root for, what sport you're talking about, you're just kind of uh, held captive to how they play, and you have, all you can do is root and hope. And, and so when I saw that as a kid, I was like, well, if they're not really freaking out or crying on the team playing, why, why would I freak out about it? And uh, so a lot of that fan stuff kind of went away for me. But if you think about it, I was born in 69. The 70s were brutal in St. Louis. So I was around that team as a little kid, but they weren't very good. I mean, they, they, the Bush Stadium was empty for a lot of my childhood. And so I'd run around there and be on the field before games and throwing tennis balls around underneath the stadium with Ted Simmons' son, John. And we had our own little games. We weren't even watching the baseball game. We were just kind of doing our own thing. So I was around it, but I, I wasn't like a go-to-bed-in-my-cardinal-PJ kind of a kid. And, <laughs> and the whole Cubs-Cardinal thing, I just loved going to Chicago with my dad and, and being in kind of the, the big city and, and having fun, going to dinner with him and watching him interact with, uh, with Harry, watching him interact with uh, different people around that organization. So I, I think while a lot of the fan stuff is, is mostly good-natured and fun. I, I actually think there's a, a lot of mutual respect uh, from each side, and when they get together, no matter how much they want to downplay it and act like, oh, it's just another game, it isn't. they know it's got a little bit more intensity to it. And consequently, I think you know there, there's a lot of respect between those two organizations when you really drill down. 
Yeah, Joe, some of my favorite memories are, are back in the, my TV reporting days after going to Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. And my photographer at the time, um, we were on the night shift. He was a big Cardinal fan. So I, I, I heard your dad on the radio probably more than I heard uh, any any Chicago uh, broadcaster uh, up until, you know, Pat Hughes uh, once I moved into Chicago after that. But um, so many great memories. He, he, he just was a legend and a master at his craft. What was the moment when you, that you can think back that you remember seeing him and going, hey, I'm going to do this, and, and this guy is an absolute legend? When, when did that hit you? Yeah, I, I, well, first of all, I was a dumb kid, obviously, because my mom tells me when I saw my dad on TV the first time, I, like, walked up to the TV and was banging on it. I thought he was stuck. <laughs> Uh, so I was trying to, trying to free him. Uh, and I was probably 15 at the time. No, <laughs> I was uh, a little kid. And, uh, I, I was, I, I can honestly tell you that I knew when my dad was doing what I'm doing now, which is kind of putting on the radio voice, putting on the more professional voice when he was on the phone in his office, even when I was three or four. If I wanted to stay in there with him, I had to be quiet, and I, I had to kind of be still and not really distract him. And so I, I think I was hooked when I was three, four, five, six years old. I, now I was my book is named Lucky Bastard because I was uh, and am a lucky bastard, literally and figuratively. So when I came along, I think my dad's mentality, and we talked about it later on in life, is. He was kind of absent for my half-brothers and sisters. I have six of them uh, when they were growing up. And when I came along, he really wanted me with him. And I, I knew how to act. I was in an adult world when I was a little kid. And so I, I didn't want to blow that. I didn't, wanna, I didn't want him leaving me home. So I, I acted accordingly. So I was around him in the booth and on the bus and in the team hotel and all that when I was a little kid. And it wasn't just Cardinals. It was Sunday football on CBS. It was Monday night football on CBS radio, national games of the week. I mean, it wasn't just St. Louis stuff. So I, I got to travel with him when I was a little boy, and I, I don't think I ever wanted to be anything else. I, I just I wanted to be him because I saw how much he loved what he did, and I saw how people reacted when he walked into a room, especially in St. Louis, that uh, I, I think the natural, and because we were so close, the natural thing is for you to kind of want to follow in those footsteps, which I did. Joe, this is a good segue because I wanted to talk about the book for a moment. The name of the book, Lucky Bastard. Um, it's an incredible read. I, I absolutely loved it. I'm, I'm just curious from your end, anytime you write an autobiography, um, you got to get personal and you got to tell raw stories about yourself that might not be the kind of stories you want millions of people to know about. I'm just wondering how difficult, if at all, that was for you to share stories about things that were hard for you in your childhood today. You, I mean, you get personal in this and, and I think it, it, it humanizes you so much in this. Um, but I'm curious from your end, how much of that you had to kind of juggle with to say, well, how much of myself do I want to reveal? Um, because you're very revealing in it. And quite frankly, I, I think you write it so beautifully um, for, for people out there to see who you are as a real person. What was that experience like for you? Well, it was it was freeing. You know, I, I think it's... My my opinion was if you're going to write a book, write a book. If you're gonna if you're gonna 
do, you know, that little second part, my life, you know, my dad, my life, and the things I can't say on TV, well, make it be exactly that. And why hide stuff? You know, I, I think people, when you're on TV or you're the national guy, everybody has formed an opinion. I mean, even the woman that I, I married and is my best friend, uh, her initial reaction when somebody told her that I was basically stalking her through this, this <laughs> friend, Rich Eisen, she's like, oh, not that guy. And he said, well, why would you say that? And she said, I don't even know why I say that. He just looks like an arrogant jerk. And, and then she met me, and I don't know, within two years we were married. I, I think it's a, good, it's a good lesson. It was then, and it is to, to this day. You know, you see people from a distance, and you think you know them, and you don't. And, and it was... It was the opposite. I, I had to be kind of reined back in from, there's plenty of other stuff about my half-brothers and half-sisters that, that did happen that was in there originally that lawyers pulled out of there. And uh, I'm glad they did because I think it would have brought some headaches for me. But I, don't, I didn't really feel like holding anything back, whether it's hair plugs or being a fat kid growing up or what it was like sharing my dad with a city or... You know, how I came onto the earth as, as uh, you know, a surprise and a not well-timed surprise. But I, I don't, that stuff doesn't bother me. And people have said plenty of stuff over the years. And I think growing up as somebody's son in this business, you know, to some people, I'll never get beyond that. Um, he died in 2002. He was my best friend. He was my best man at my wedding. Um, but I, I think... I'm always going to be in his shadow to some people. He's been gone long enough that they're not aware, some aren't aware that he was even around. But I I, I felt like if, if people are going to judge who they think I am, I'm at least going to put this out there so they can go to a library someday and say, oh, I wonder what the guy was really like. And, and that's, as, that's as natural and as raw as I can be. And I'm glad I did it that way. It was hard because I have two daughters and I do talk about divorce, and I, I did tiptoe around some of that because I didn't want them embarrassed about anything I read. And I made them both read my book before I said okay, and it went to the printer. And once they both read it, loved it, signed off on it, then I was good with everything that was in there. Joe, we're going to get you out of here on one last question. If you if you look at the sporting landscape, you have, as Ryan said, you've done pretty much everything out there. What is one event, or maybe it's an event you've done, but it's a set of teams? What is what would be the Valhalla for you? What would be the the the, the pinnacle for you to be at the mic at a, a particular event or a particular competition between two different teams? Yeah, I you know I think at this point I'm wise enough to know that I'm I'm, I'm content and I'm. I never expected to do what I've done. Um, you know, you always hope the Super Bowl, and we've got it this year, will be fun and exciting. And the last one we did was an overtime, the only uh, overtime game uh, in Super Bowl history. Uh, that was fun. The, I mentioned the Cubs, obviously, the Red Sox in 04, uh, what, what those moments were like. Uh, I think now that I've done five U.S. Opens and Tigers kind of on – his last leg, so to speak, uh, obviously winning at the Masters, but the other majors didn't go as well. I'd love to see him in contention one time when when we had it. 
you know, fighting for it down the stretch. I don't think any any singular athlete has meant more to their sport financially or TV viewership wise than Tiger has uh, since he burst onto the scene. But for the most part, I mean, I've done plenty of college basketball. I've done horse jumping on TV. I've done live bass fishing on TV. I've done Robbie Knievel jumping over limousines in Vegas live on TV. I, I don't really yearn to do anything else. And now that, you know, I'm remarried, I've got one-year-old twin boys, I, I, I find myself looking for reasons to be home and be with them. So, you know, for those who like me, great. For those who don't, probably good news that uh, as the years go on, I'm going to be cutting stuff out, not looking to add stuff. So I'm, I'm good. My answer to the question, even though it's long-winded, is uh, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson battling it uh, on the last day at the U.S. Open at Wingfoot in 2020. And uh, that's a great answer as well, Joe. Uh, we're talking with the great Joe Buck. And, uh, Joe, thank you so, so much. We said 15 minutes. You were kind enough to stay with us for a half hour. We, we could not appreciate you more uh, for taking the time, for answering my email. And, and, and by the way, answering my email very quickly, uh, I get people that, you know, you wouldn't even have heard of try to get on the show. It takes me two and a half, three weeks to get a response. You were so prompt. So you're, you're a true gentleman in every sense of the word. And we would love, love to have you back on if time ever permits for you to uh, come on with yeah. Chad and myself. Well, we'll do, it. we'll do it in October when the uh, Cubs are chasing down another championship. I love we'll it. hold you to that. I thank love you, it. Joe. Joe, thanks again man and and best of uh, to everything to you and your family all right thanks guys anytime take See care you. man part two was just as good as part one in my opinion i am just so excited and so happy that we were Love able it. to have the opportunity to talk to joe buck so for that two-part interview um a first on the friendly confines a, a two-parter but obviously when you get somebody like him on your uh, podcast uh, man, I'll tell you what, uh, you do whatever you need to do to split up that interview. And you can hear the full interview. We will post that on our podcast uh, site so you can check out the entirety of the, the interview between Chad, myself, and Joe Buck. Uh, if you just need to subscribe to the Friendly Confines podcast, if you go to where podcasts are available. And also, don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Ryan D. Lieber, and you can find Chad at Cubs Confines. We're always interested to hear what you guys have to say and interacting with our listeners for ideas moving forward. And favor time for all of our listeners. If you're here and you're ready for the eighth inning to go, uh, you are a dedicated listener. We ask, please, whether you're listening to this on Spotify or the Anchor app or Apple Podcast app, if you are a Cubs fan, and we know you are if you're listening at this point, Please share this with your Cubs friends. We're trying to grow this audience more and more. Um, we are just over 11,000 downloads. We're really excited about that. And obviously, I've talked about this before. Find us on the Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines Facebook page. Fun community there. Let's dig into the eighth inning. And, Ryan, I love this when you put this on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, the rundown for the eighth inning. Uh, you know, is, is this a time after the Hall of Fame? And, and he has a Cubs hat on in the Hall of Fame, Lee Smith. Is 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 he going to have his number retired for the Cubs? I want to hear your take because I'm going to throw some fire and you're probably not going to like what I have to say. Well, this is being reported by Bruce Levine of ESPN 1000 in Chicago that the Cubs are in serious talks about potentially retiring 
Lee Smith's number 46. And obviously he would be right up there with Fergie and Greg Maddox and Ryan Sandberg and Billy Williams and, you know, the whole, whole uh, list of guys. Um, you know, listen, I mean, Lee Smith was really the first like dominant closer that the Cubs ever had. And if he goes into the hall with the Cubs hat, which he's going to be doing, I think you kind of have to put him as one of the guys who's getting his number retired. So I'm totally fine with it. I think it's a cool move. Um, He did spend the majority of his career with the Cubs, albeit they weren't, you know, and, and I've said this when we talked about him, when he was, getting inducted that Lee Smith aside from the 84 team was the lone bright spot on very bad Cubs baseball teams for a very long time, a very long portion of his career. So for me, I think that he would have been a lot better of a pitcher and, uh, and probably would have been even more uh, of, of a, of a dominant closer had he played for better teams in Chicago, but that was not the case. So I'm good with this. I would like to see this happen. What about you? You know, there's only a certain number, and I put this on the Cubs Facebook page a, a week or so ago. You know, back, but you know, some of the names that 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 are Cubs in the Hall of Fame, uh, and I believe it's 17, uh, 15, 16, or seventeen. Uh, brain freeze right now. I got to get Peyton the intern on that. Uh, but you know, they didn't have numbers back then, so there weren't numbers. Again, you know, Tinker's ever a chance wasn't there? weren't any numbers on those guys. Um, I. I'm okay with it being retired. I'm okay with, with, you know, Lee did have a a strong presence, but there are a lot of other teams and even Cardinal fans out there that can kind of claim Lee. So he's an interesting one because he had a lot of different stops along the way. I'm just going to throw this out here. I don't, I've said this before and, and I, and I may alienate some listeners right now. I still don't like the fact that that 31 is up there. I love that Jenkins is up there. He should be up there as a hall of famer. I don't like Maddox being up there. Because Maddox is a Hall of Famer, not for what he did with us. He's a Hall of Famer with the Braves. So um, I'm all for, you know, doing the numbers as it is. I'm glad there's two 31s up there and he's, Maddox didn't take somebody else's. But, you know, Lee Smith uh, on the foul pole, no problem with that. It's just interesting because he has a lot of steps on his, his career ladder. But he is going in as a Chicago Cup. Yeah, and I totally understand where you're coming from. I, I think in today's game too, Chad, like we're going to probably see this happening more and more because the days of like the Derek Jeters or the Tony Gwynn's or the Cal Ripkins, like the guys like that who played for one franchise well, their entire career. I appreciate that, Ryan, but what's the bar, right? You know, I mean, what, what, if you're going to be retired, like Derek Jeter should be retired. Yeah, that number should be tried for the Yankees because he was there the entire time. Sandberg should be retired with the Cubs. I mean, they just, but if you bounce around, are you really, is that the reason? What is the bar that would allow a team to say, we're going to take that number off the board because you were a Hall of Famer, but you're only a Hall of Famer for half your career. I just, you know, I'm okay with it, but I don't think it's necessary. Well, okay, so let me give some examples in that case. I mean, a guy like Jim Tomei, who played probably the majority of his career, you would think in, in Cleveland, and had some amazing years, but he played for the Phillies. He played for the White Sox. He played like he played for multiple teams, but he is a Cleveland Indian. And and some of the times the players, not the circumstance. It's not like they left as a free agent. They were traded. But they're getting they're getting the them. Hall of Fame not otters. I'm just saying when you take a number off the board in a franchise, I think it needs to mean more. I think it really should be because they're an iconic player that define like you know, Billy Williams, that number should be taken down. Ernie Banks, Ron Santo, those were Cubs through and through. They weren't any, they, even though they had a couple of med stops at the very end, 
they were Cubs for the vast majority of their career. So I, I'm just saying honor them with the Hall of Fame. But you know, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna say uh, you know Lee Smith gets his number taken down and he he only played half of his career with the Cubs, it, it, it's it's a that's a low bar. Listen, I'm just putting it out there. You you brought up Ferguson Jenkins. Fergie Jenkins, I don't believe, even played the majority of his career with the Cubs. I, I think he had more seasons. I'm looking at his stats right now. No, he did. Okay. Ten years with the Cubs, but he had six years with the Rangers. Yep. And he did win a Cy Young Award with the Rangers as well. I remember yep. that. He you know, won both of the American and National League. So, but, you know, I mean, there was, that is an example of a player who did have multiple stops at other places, Boston, uh, the Rangers, you know, and then came back to the Cubs. But um, you make fair points. I mean, yeah. obviously, I understand where you're coming from on that. It, it certainly is something to think about. But uh, just being talked about right now, nothing is definite. So we'll see how that progresses. It's it's a fair um, debate, and it's interesting. And again, if I see Lee Smith's name up there, I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna have the reaction I have with with uh, with Greg Maddox, and that's it's a strong reaction. So yeah. let's move into the ninth inning. And, and Ryan, um, if you want to talk about strength of schedule. Um, and we could just talk about this upcoming week, but you know, other than Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, and unfortunately Cincinnati has really had the Cubs number lately, this is one heck of a tough, tough uh, run over the next month. How are you feeling about this upcoming run? And do you feel like the Cubs are on track to, to, uh, to show us what they showed us uh, at home versus Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, this is by far and away going to be the toughest stretch of the season, Chad. There is no doubt about it. You got the A's coming to Wrigley. While the Cubs play amazing at Wrigley, the Oakland A's are a legitimate playoff team in the American League and are very strong. You mentioned the Reds, that they're going to be playing on the road in Cincinnati, and for whatever reason, the Cubs are just flummoxed by Cincinnati. Then you got to go to Philly to face the Phillies, and that's not going to be easy. Pittsburgh might be a little bit of a breather in Pittsburgh, but then you got the Giants at home, then the Nationals who are playing great, and then the Mets. The Mets are playing out of their minds right now, Chad. They're, they're, yeah. They could be the hottest team in baseball. I don't know what the heck is all of a sudden happening with the Mets. I'm nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm nervous. Um, because then the reprieve comes in September because the entire <laughs> month of August is going to be unbelievable. If the Cubs can get through these, you know, this entire month of August and still be in first place, then I will sit here and say they will obviously win the division. They will and maybe have a good shot of performing well in the postseason. Th- this is the the month that is ultimately going to to make or break this team because they do not get a break at all until September uh, when they go to, when they host the Mariners for two at Wrigley. And well, then it's a little bit lighter because these teams right now at this time are playing amazing baseball. The teams that I just named at the moment, you, you, you named other than a couple of, of, of the teams that you pointed out, they're all fighting for the wild card right now. And you say, and not to push back, but you say things slow down a little bit after you go through August, but at the, at the end of August to the first week of September, Milwaukee, seven games with Seattle, a little two-game set at home in between all of that. Yep. My hope for this upcoming stretch, um, do you remember the days when Chris Bryant used to just like – was like Hulk, Hulk, Hulk and uh, Hercules and He-Man all rolled into one every time he played at Cincinnati? How about that for that four-game series? How about a four-game set against the Cincinnati Reds where they've decided, you know what, we're out of it, let's uh, – Let's get that draft pick and let let Chris Bryant have his his game. But 
everybody that is coming up in this the it, on the schedule coming up is fighting for their their lives it's interesting with the single uh trade deadline now that uh there is no secondary trade deadline everybody had to make their moves now and a lot of teams you know whether they wanted to or not they are in the mix and so i don't know if that's by design baseball but there's a lot of parity right now and it's not a it's no longer a, a, a five horse race um, in each of the each of the leagues, there's a lot of teams fighting for that wild card. The Cubs obviously want to avoid that, want to win the division, and this next month is going to tell the tale. Yes, winning the division is the key. Obviously, we saw what happened when you don't win the division last year. We do not want a repeat of that because that is going to end very badly. Uh, if the Cubs end up fighting for a wild card, because uh, I'm telling you, the Nationals are are a good baseball team. Oh yeah, they can get that bullpen figured out. And and right now, if you know, the, hypothetically, if the Cubs were to be one of the two wild cards in the National League, my money's on Washington being the other. And if Max Scherzer comes back healthy and Steven Strasburg, I, well, it doesn't matter. Scherzer would just throw that game. The Nationals offensively are unbelievable. Uh, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how how much of a non-factor? Uh, Bryce Harper is with the Nationals this year. I, I find it just incredible, and he's he's really not doing much of anything to earn his money uh, in Philadelphia. But they oh, yeah. seemed – you know, they, we talked about clubhouse cancer and maybe a little too much me first, but it is amazing how well they are playing. Uh, Rendon is, is, is one of the greatest players in baseball, and uh, they didn't miss him a bit. In fact, they're a better team. Yeah, you're 100% right. They, they are a better team, and I think Hence they – they saved a lot of money not having to uh, shell out yeah. that contract to them. Well, with that, that is going to do it for this edition of the Friendly Confine. Another we fun show. Appreciate you guys and always certainly appreciate the listeners. And we uh, hope you enjoyed. We'll be back next week with another thrilling episode. And hopefully the Cubs will be still standing in first place when we come back and talk to you again. For Chad, I'm Ryan. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great one, everybody. See you at the ballpark, everybody. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game For I've seen other teams and it's never the same When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're a field The first time you walk into rigor